Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. On today's episode, we're talking about Christos Porzingis and his ongoing health. And then we're going to dive a little bit into the eight wins the Mavericks have in the past 10 games. Makes it a two-point game. Here's your mismatch right here. Now it's Luka. Deep three on Welcome to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, the only Dallas Mavericks podcast as far as I'm aware. I'm Tim Cato. I talk about the Mavericks. I write about the Mavericks. I do a lot of things with the Mavericks. Uh, we've got we've got two people here. Uh, we've got Dave Dufour. Uh-huh. We're not going to erase other podcasts, by the way. There's a lot of other Mavs podcasts. No, 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 Some no. Some no. of them uh, are really I mean, good. This is Highlighter. No. There can only be one. Well, we've, got, uh, we've got Mike Pellucci. We've got Mike Pellucci on this. Uh, hey, guys this singular podcast that is in existence. How are you, Mike? Uh, I'm happy to be on the best and also worst podcast in existence since we are the only podcast in existence. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. All right. You're getting the hang of this. Um, yeah. We're going to have Mike more <laughs> o- uh, on more often going forwards, just as a uh, very small programming note. And uh, I think that's a good thing. So we all like Mike. Who doesn't like Mike? Well, now we can do a three-man weave, right? And we couldn't do that with just the two of us. To be right. Fair. We could do a two-man weave. And there's not yeah. a lot of weaving in a uh, in a two man weave. Well, I mean, you still very awkward. Two man weave. Man, you can't. I've not thought about a three man weave in um, probably senior year of high school. It's been a while. Well, it's you not. Don't, uh, it's not something you, don't you want to do. warm up with three man re- weaves when you go to uh, the court to play intramurals or pickup in college. Yeah, it's not. Us- it's not functional on a. It's not functional in a game anyway. So it was like. It's that's not. A, it's yeah, a terrible a, exercise. <laughs> yeah, that's an old school coach's thing. Don't don't do that. Get rid of that. All right. So so we're going to talk about Kristaps. Uh, last week was all about Kristaps. We did talk about Kristaps uh, last week on the podcast. He's back. He's playing again. I thought he played well against Brooklyn. I thought he played all right uh, in the game that followed against Orlando. I wrote about him and the behind-the-scenes process. Uh, actually, I mentioned this on the pod a, a couple of weeks ago that this story was, you know, that there was a story coming. Well, it was the story that published Monday, if you haven't seen it, but did hear that reference. So do go check it out on theathletic.com, uh, a website where that story exists. Beyond that, uh, I wrote it. I know a lot about it. Um, Mike, you edited it. You also know it deeply, but I'm just curious. Indeed. I'll pitch it to you guys first, or or Dave, as as one who was not involved in the story, but I only read it, so exactly. I'm just curious. Like, is is there anything that you feel like you would love to know more about? Because that is potentially something I can do, and then and then we can talk maybe more about Porzingis and you know just him going forwards. I mean, listen, uh, your your article was to exhaustive. I, I thought the the details were were excellent. So no, I don't. I, it doesn't really leave me asking anything particularly about you know his recovery process or or what they're trying to do to protect him but my question from your article is thinking more bigger picture and basketball um obviously 
This is a guy who has an injury history. I hate to call anyone injury prone, in particular because this meniscus thing, this, the most recent one, seems to have been a contact injury, right? Like, and super it was brief sidebar: some sports doctors don't like don't even reject the idea that players are injury prone, uh, which sure. is an interesting thing that I, I would love to write about. And, and it's all based off mitigating factors that, granted, may have started Absolutely. when they were 12, 13, 14. So, biomechanics is something that I've studied extensively. Uh, to learn about shooting and basketball and biomechanics play a huge part in guys having knee, hip and back issues. Um, you know, guys with ankle injury history often run into knee trouble. And, and so, you know, when I look at his career and I see how many issues he's had with his lower extremities, there's a point where you just start to think, okay, so this guy is never, he's not, he's not going to be an 82 game player. Most likely. You just have to you just have to kind of say that right up front. He's a seven foot three guard, right? Like part of that unicorn status is we don't know how much like how long we have it for. Is it is it a mirage? You know what I mean? And so uh, I think that the the limitations of his body type might be a mitigating factor in in how this team reaches its ceiling. But we saw last year when he was healthy, like it's incredible. And so it, it becomes this more of an equation of is the juice worth the squeeze? And to me, yeah, it is when you can get him healthy as long as everything is geared toward a healthy and complete postseason run for him. There, there's nothing wrong with the 60-game player if, if you're getting right. the right 60 games from them. Absolutely. Well, exactly. and more than that, not just the 60 games or the 70 games, whatever the number is, the key question, and this is why we wrote this story, is it's one thing if you're on the floor for 60 games, but you're at peak capacity, right? We saw Christoph right. Porzingis last year looking great in the bubble when he was there. The problem this year isn't that he missed a few games with the lower back or that he did a, you know, came back late from the meniscus so that they gave him a rest day. It's that when he's been on the floor, he hasn't looked great. And that's the real question here. It's not just, to me, it's not how many games you ring out of him. It's can you maximize his effectiveness in those games? Yeah, a lot of the story comes to the idea that it was obviously un, untimed, uh, unplanned for, and unfortunate in the big picture. But the fact that the Mavericks missed eight days or, or didn't play for eight days uh, due to the winter storms in Dallas was actually pretty important for for Kristaps to retool and, and recharge and, and specifically work on uh, conditioning and strengthen his muscles and things like that. Uh, Carlo was asked, Rick was asked at one point, um, just, just in a press conference, whether – uh, he thought Kristaps maybe came back too soon, and he said he didn't. And I think that's fair because Kristaps came back when he was healthy. He was absolutely healthy. But I think what we've seen is that a player like Kristaps, uh, given all the mitigating factors that that he has as a seven three person who isn't athletically gifted immediately with with mobility that would be at the level of of you know a, a you know just the NBA that he that he needs it to be at, and it's something he has to work towards. I think we saw that that Kristaps, you know, is going to need more work, and that that you know, if if he continues to suffer injuries, even relatively minor ones like a meniscus, uh, like some meniscus damage that that needs to be cleaned out. Again, that's I don't I never I don't think, and I never thought that was a huge injury. What's concerning to me is is that once he got back on the court, 
that he needed a lot more building back up to even get back to a to the point that he was an effective star and that is that that you know his game was was back to where it needed to be it wasn't someone who could you know maybe maybe start slow but but work his way back into the shape and the conditioning and and all those things that he needs and, and yeah I, I think there's some level of concern to that and, and i think that does in turn really highlight the maverick training staff and what needs to happen you know, and just just in that the, the sense that they have to have a plan, they have to have a a detailed, complicated, um, elaborate plan working off non certain science when when it comes to you know what what can a body take and 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 also just like there's circumstances that happen on a court no medical staff can can prepare for um, or and a, and a player can't train for. So all of these things are interesting questions that that circle Porzingis in terms of getting the most out of him, getting the best out of him, and whether he can be that complimentary second star. Um, and I don't think there's an answer. I, I don't think that right now, currently, we have an answer to that. Even if we did, like, there's no good solutions. If if your answer is Chris Hesperzingas shouldn't be on the, or shouldn't be the second star for next to Luca, and that shouldn't be what is asked of him, there's not really any solution to, to fix that. It's not my answer, but if it is, you know, if it were somebody's answer, I just don't know what the Mavericks are going to do about that or, or or anything, you know? Yeah, well, I think what you said is a very interesting point you know specifically about the ramp up time that he needs that's not just true on the macro level one of the great details in your story was how this is true on a micro level about his rotations he likes to play the full first quarter and the full third quarter he likes to get out there it's almost you know thinking about this it almost feels like sort of a volume running back at football where you need 20 carries to start feeling like you're in the groove you can't be the dude who comes off the bench as the change of pace back and you get you know you touch the ball and automatically you're in a groove so he needs ramping up in the bigger picture. He needs ramping up in the flow of the game. The problem for this team is what that practically looks like because it puts Rick Carlisle in sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't place, right? This team isn't going anywhere in the postseason if he isn't close to his best. So you got to get him to his best. But if he's killing you on the floor, and we've seen, you guys did a great job last week talking about this, how he has hurt them defensively. And we've noticed how the defensive uptick has happened, not so coincidentally when he's not on the floor, well, what's the balance? How are you going to win games and make sure you're not getting outscored when KP's on the floor? But then if you win those games, you get to the postseason and you don't have an effective Porzingis, you're going to get bounced about five games in round one. Mike just praised us like four different times in that answer. Why don't we have him yeah. more often, Dave? I don't this know. This is good. Uh, I, I think <laughs> another point um, uh, that you made in the piece was you talked about the timeline and how everyone thought the NBA really would be like a month into the season at this point. I thought there was no chance they were starting by the, you know, maybe the last week of January. There was no way they were going to start at Christmas at the end of last season. And I think everyone kind of got caught, you know, with their pants down a little bit here and not their fault, right? Like it did change. Everyone I talked to in the league was giving me end of January, probably mid-February up until we started all hearing about four days before they decided you know, hey, we're going to aim for, you know, that the week of Christmas. And so when you think about that and you factor in the timing of the surgery and when he came back, I think the Mavs were hoping they were going to have him back and ramping up activity in camp with the team, right? So when he comes back and he has no, like he can't, there's no practices. It's not like he can jump in games. He can't scrimmage. There's no G League to practice with. So I can reason why he looks the way he looks still because it's this is a difficult season to get yourself into shape. 
It's very hard. And he missed that three-week head start, which wasn't even enough for, for a lot of players. I mean, even players on this team. And so, you know, there are certainly reasons for it. But when you get onto the court, you just have to say, listen, I understand all the reasons, but this is what my eyes telling me. Mike, kind of to your point, right? Like, how do you, you know, you got to rob Peter to pay Paul in this situation, one way or the other. You're either going to put yourself in a worse position to win games, but better position, you know, long-term for Kristaps, or you're going to say, look, maybe we have to watch his minutes and keep them lower than we want to, to maintain his effectiveness. And we just have to make do with, you know, I mean, to be frank, Willie Cauley-Stein has, has shown in moments where he's been a lot better since Kristaps coming back, better than Kristaps. And so I think if Kristaps is looking good, maybe you keep him out there, but, but the minutes load is, is going to be something I'm paying close attention to for the next few months as they're trying to work him into shape ahead of the playoffs. But, I mean, look, legitimately, he got a late start. And I think that everyone should take that into account when we're looking at how, he, how he's moving on the court. I, I wonder if post-All-Star break, he gets this time off. Maybe he gets a chance to you know get on the treadmill, get it in the gym, and just do some more conditioning stuff, maybe with a little bit of basketball work in there. Maybe he's coming back and, and looking more like the guy that we saw January, February last year. I re-listened to what Rick said uh, Monday night. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon, and he mentioned something about the whole team's conditioning being off to to start the season, or, or that's what I took from it. Uh, he didn't really elaborate on it, and it was you know it was just a a thing he briefly said in the midst of a larger answer about something else. Uh, I might need to follow up with him. I'm, I'm curious because almost what I took away from that, and, and maybe I'm reaching, and, and so don't take this with with full certainty, but it almost sounded like he was saying that you know everybody you know, just wasn't quite up to speed. And that's a combination of the season just generally coming back sooner. But I think the Mavericks specifically basing all of their team's plans, like we saw Luca, Luca was clearly out of shape and, and admittedly so as he came into the season. So I wonder if that was just a, a kind of team-wide thing that they they based everybody's offseason around this January start. And when it happens in December, some players can adapt easier than others. Some of them kept going, you know, kept their routines going over the offseason and had less work to make back than others. Um, and again, you know, uh, if it's sure you want at you want to ask Luca to keep that up, you know, 24 seven or, or 365, I guess is specifically the one I'm looking for here. But the idea that a 21 year old will let his, you know, routine slip just a little bit. I think that's bound to happen to some degree. And uh, and yeah, and maybe that happened kind of across the team um, and certainly for for the two stars. I think that we saw the effects of of that of that. um rushed start I mean not rushed yeah. sped up quicker impromptu quicker start impromptu, yeah something like maybe? that yeah I mean a word. there's gonna be you know you you said it last week and it's true right I mean this is a weird season but I think why that is relevant it isn't just what we're watching now it is there are going to be a lot of teams and I would submit that this team may be more than any team at the end of the year you're gonna have we're gonna have to come back and we're gonna have to ask ourselves what of what we just watched is useful data and what is not and I'm looking at a Kristaps Porzingis where, like, you know, if he looks good by the end of the year, let's say maybe he has 15 games where he looks good. Am I valuing the 15 or am I going to value the 55 and the impact over the course of the whole year, given the weird start? Is it actionable, useful data to have seen Luka Doncic out of shape going forward? Probably not. But even let's let's go a little deeper, right? A guy like a Josh Richardson who gets traded, 
who doesn't have a normal off-season acclimation period, who doesn't have camp, who then has a COVID layoff and is now playing, he does not look good this year, right? No. I think we we know this. The Mavericks have a very expensive decision to make about what to do with this guy. I do not envy this front office with whatever choice they're going to have to make. And a lot of season left, right? Maybe towards the end of the year, he looks like Josh Richardson and they feel good enough to make an investment. But I don't know what to make of this data. I don't know what to make about a lot of things this year because, you know, everything Tim is talking about with the the weird start and how it affected this team specifically combined with them getting hit hard by COVID and playing through COVID, whereas now we've seen more and more teams just have the games auto-postponed. There's a lot of stuff that I just don't even know what you take from this team as a useful data point. I mean, not just next year, but certainly, you know, as we're at the all-star break, we're near on the half now. There's a lot of stuff we're looking at with this squad, and I just, I don't even know what to believe. I think you're going to see a lot of hesitancy to hand out big contracts this summer, in particular long-term big contracts for guys like Josh Richardson, because this is not a good season for him. He wasn't really lighting the world on fire in Philadelphia either. Right. But I do think he's a better player than he was, you know, than he was used in in Philly. But um, this isn't who he is, surely, but he's going to be judged on it. I mean, Atlanta just fired their head coach. And not only have they had uh, this this whole season, which everyone else is dealing with as well. But, you know, one of their best players got hurt very early. A guy they just signed. uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich got hurt. Chris Dunn hasn't even played yet. Rajon Rondo has been an awful signing, and yet, man, the business keeps going, and they fired their head coach. So I think that when when we're judging all of these players, we can certainly be fair in our jobs as analysts and you know reporters. But the team is going to treat them, you know, they're going to treat this like any other season. I think, and ultimately, Josh Richardson is probably going to be judged on how he performs in the second half of this season. I think that first half, like you just said, a lot of teams are going to just throw that completely out the window, but it's hard to do that over the course of an entire year. It's just human nature. I have to go with what my eyes saw. It's like the bubble. You know, I had, I had to work really hard to throw out my expectations of a lot of players who just went off in the bubble. You know, Jamal Murray's not that player. Maybe he will be when the playoffs start. Jay Crowder's not going to shoot 50% from three. And, and, and you know, Tyler Hero is not as good as he was in the bubble. And I just so think there's just, right, there's just so much stuff in the last two seasons. But, but this year, given the, you know, the conditioning and chemistry stuff, um, I'm with you. But I, I think that Josh Richardson is going to be judged for the second half of this season one way or the other when it comes to his contract this summer. But you're right. The choice is tough because if you're Dallas and you don't think he's a long-term fit or piece, which I don't really think he he is necessarily, do you try to move him? And maybe you get something thinking long-term. I, I don't know, Tim. Well, if you want something to positive, positive to build off of with Richardson in his past 10 games, he's at 13 points. Uh, 48% shooting from the field, 34 from three. Uh, and he's up at about three and a half assists per game. Those are good numbers to build off of. You'd like to see better three-point shooting, more, more a better points average. Yeah, but that's, that's who he is, though, as a player. It's better than he, than he started. I would view it as a base. It's a base. You know, you say, hey, this is what you need. You know, this is where you need to be. And now let's see if we can bump that. You know, let's let's see if you can. Yeah, you can take a pause. I mean, he was he was shooting and playing, I think, worse than that for a lot of the first half. So. Absolutely. He's regressed, I think, regressed to his norm. 
at this point. And so going forward, hopefully this is just the player he is, who's the player that he's been the last few years. 14 to 15 points a game, you know, 34-ish from, from three, uh, can get you a couple of steals, can get you a couple of assists. But, you know, they need him putting consistent pressure on the basket so that when they're trying to stretch the floor and run those high pick and rolls with Luca and get KP out in the action, they have someone that actually can get to the hoop and make teams, you know, get punished teams when they commit to those Luca pick and rolls. And I, he's starting to do that more, but again, it's a chemistry thing. So we just need to see it. They, they just need more reps. Well, what have you guys liked from the past 10 more generally? Uh, eight and two. It's good. I mean, I think that if, if the Mavericks had been, you know, a month ago, it did not seem like they were potentially going to finish uh, or go into the All-Star break two games over 500. Um, they still got to win on Wednesday. It's, it's certainly not assuming that Oklahoma City is a, a good feisty team, uh, but, it's, but it's a game I think you can expect the Mavericks to win or expect them to, uh, to should be able to win. And we'll see if they do. But, but either way, they're going to at least be 500 at the All-Star break. And I don't think that's what the general sentiment around the team was a month ago, even if I kept saying that I figured things would be all right. I, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is worth, worth pointing out. In, in the last 10 games, listen, the, the numbers, it's Dorian Finney-Smith. He's not, he's not lighting the world on fire, but he's shooting 40% from three, playing really good defense. And, you know, he's found, he finds ways – to make plays that are that are based on reads, which you know is is different than just doing it on athleticism. It's pretty clear to me that like Dorian Finney Smith studies the scouting report and he knows what's coming. I, I watched him get a steal up at the top of the key on kind of a lazy pass, but he saw it coming. He he goes down, he shoots an open corner three that he had worked himself into, and he misses, but again, makes an effort, recognizes the ball is short, tips the ball out on an offensive rebound. The uh, Josh Richardson winds up with an and one on that possession. And, and it's stuff like that from Dorian Finney-Smith that I think has kind of spurred this turnaround. And, and not just him. Obviously, Luke has been incredible. But, you know, when you can get that kind of consistent effort in production from a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith, a role player who's in your starting lineup, uh, it it's, means good things for your team. And, and they're getting it across the board. I mean, Tim Hardaway has been pretty good. Maxi, of course, has just become this – you know, model of consistency. And I don't know, Mike, uh, what's standing, who's standing out to you? No, I think all of that. I think to me, it's less about which individuals are stepping up and it's more just if we think, you know, the first, I think adjustment and expectations was going into the year. I think I, I know I did. I thought this team was running a lot deeper than it did. Right. Uh, then it looked like it was running real shallow. You know, I mean, Dave, the other week you, you said, I've got a list of about five people I trust in this team, maybe four. So, the question is, if we know that they're not going to have 11 guys and Rick's only going to play about seven or eight, you got to trust those seven or eight. It can't be I'm playing eight and I trust six. That's not going to work. And we've seen flashes, right? If you were among those guys that Rick has to play, if you were to ask me who you, you're, you know, you're getting the least out of, well, I'm thinking of a Josh Richardson. You know, 10 games ago, Dorian Finney-Smith didn't look as much like Dorian Finney-Smith as he does right now. Obviously, the Porzingis question is something else altogether. We've seen flashes from him when he came back, right? I mean, the Brooklyn game is great. The third quarter last night was an example of, oh, yeah, this is what this team should be. They're playing a team that, yeah, they should beat in Orlando, right? But it was closer than it should have been. And they just go out in the third quarter, and it's just Luka and Kristaps. And they, you know, that's what sets the stage for this to be a win. So, if nothing else, I'm just encouraged. There's always going to be shooting regression. There's always going to be, you know, 
record regression once they had more time, once they had less time on the road, once they played some weaker teams. But it just also seems sort of in the broader sense. We can go and drill down the numbers like what Dave did with you know with Dorian or what Tim just did with Josh. But you just drill it down and it just looks like at least the guys that Rick kind of trusts look like they were giving him a reason to trust them. Is this ideal? No. Is this team where you we all thought they might be to go in the year? No. But this is progress from where they were 10, 15 games ago. And that's all you could basically ask right now to have the momentum going into the break. It's a good point. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're at. You know, we're going to the break. I think there's reasons for optimism. I think coming out of the break, the question is just going to be, how much can you build? What is the ceiling of this roster? You know, we've got about post all-star game. We've got what? Two weeks, 15 days until the deadline. What's the deadline, Dave? You, you know, March 25th, things. March 25th. So we okay, got so like we, a little over three weeks. We got a little over three weeks, right? So I guess the questions are going to be one, how much higher is the ceiling right now? And two, are you going to do anything, right? I mean, we just talked about how we don't know what to trust from the data. There's so much weirdness going on. Do you even try to take a big swing right now if you're this front office? Let alone if you think you could and you have the assets. But who's the swing on? Try? I, yeah, I, I mean, mean, who I are you swinging on, right? Like Andre Drummond, you know, like, no, don't do that. Who cares? I, I think that at this point, you know, you're not, you're not going to win a title this year. So everything you do should be about the next couple of years. And, and you know, yeah. thinking about just this year, I, I think would be a mistake, obviously. And I just look at Josh Richardson and I think about the timeline of this team and, and I think, hey, listen, they they are about to enter what I think is going to be a really long prime for Luka Doncic. And, and I'm saying that about a guy who just turned 22, I think, the other yep. day. Yeah. Um, 22. You know, they, they hopefully they have him for the rest of his career. But, you know, they could use – an upgrade on Josh Richardson. So, you know, it maybe you move him for a, a draft asset or uh and and maybe a young player or something like that. The the contract would be tricky because he he makes money. But, you know, I think that looking for the next 2 to 3 years is the move, not necessarily for this playoff run. Because even if they make the, like they're going to make the playoffs, I think. Let's say they win in the first round. Okay, great. You're not going to beat the Clippers. You're you're not going to beat the Lakers, you're not going to beat the Jazz because this year's Clippers team is not last year's Clippers team. Let's just if they win a playoff series after all of this, that is unquestionably crazy a season. But it would be crazy if they did. But I, I don't, I don't even see that happening. I mean, who who are they going to beat? That's in the top four. If they got up to to sixth, which which seems highly doable, or a game they and get half the Clippers, out. the Lakers, they get the Clippers. Yeah, ideally, what yeah, what you're looking for is is to get up all the way up to fifth, which I just. I think they are as good as I'm not going to say better, but I think they're as good as the the four teams above of them, above them, or or as you know they've shown as much to be five through eight, and those five four teams are Portland, San Antonio, Denver, Golden State. I mean, I don't want to be a downer, but if you play Phoenix, Phoenix has beaten this team consistently for four years now. So you know, I don't know. It's it would be a fantastic result. And when I say like big move, I don't even think for this year, right? Obviously, this team's not going to win a title this year. I think more, do you even try to do something that locks you into some rotation guy right now? Or do you say, and I, this is what I think the answer is going to be. I think we all know how this team operates. They're not taking on any contracts. They're going to see what the market brings them over the right. side, whether that's, you know. So this is what this is. So I think of nothing else, you're just hoping to get some clarity and some answers, you know, I would like to see them get an answer in Josh Richardson. Although reality is unless Josh Richardson is awesome. They're not going to pay him this off season. Right. Um, I would like to see them get Josh green a little more burn, you know, in the second half of the year, 
We'll what see if Josh that goes Richardson down post do? Wait, before we get too far, I want to ask you, like, what would he have to do for them to be like, okay, yes, we got to lock him up because this is this is just too good. I, I just don't think he could do anything. Uh, he would have to so far surpass. If he looks like surpass, Miami Richardson. I, I mean, Josh Richardson circa Miami was somebody that you what, was fine. But remember, he was young-ish. And, and so it was more about the promise of Josh Richardson. And basically, he is who he is right now. I mean, this is the player that he's been. And and maybe the defense can be better, and we've certainly seen some flashes of that. And I think that that they're rounding into form a bit, especially because Dorian has been so good and and Maxie's looking healthier. Um, but I just don't – I don't know why you would commit to Josh Richardson for this team at this point. You know, where he is in his career and his skill set just feels like it'd be more useful for another team and they could use like, you know, a young Danny Green. And I know, I know everyone gets <laughs> tired of me saying believes Danny Green. We all could use the Danny Green in our lives. But but that's the thing, right? Like, so certainly uh, they could they could use, uh, you know, a young Chris Paul type would be great. Um, a, a An actual secondary playmaker next to Luca, which was the idea about, you know, for Josh Sorry, Richardson. did you just say a young Chris Paul type? Sure. Yeah, they need a, they need a young, should have won multiple MVPs yeah. uh, player on there. You know what I mean? I, I mean, you could have a smaller guard who's a good playmaker, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I, I, okay, I, is Jalen Brunson not good enough for y'all? Which, you know uh, okay, who they could obviously. really use? They could have used uh, uh, Cheska Brad Wanamaker. How about that? That doesn't okay. work, does it, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, and, and I'm not actually gonna. I'm not actually saying Brunson is is that player. Um, but but when you guys were talking, but I think about Brunson what liked, is a good option. Well, I just I just wanted to I want to circle back to him because I let y'all talk for a while and you're talking about y'all are so negative. Talk talk about Brunson, who has by far been the most surprising he's player. He's awesome. I think. Yeah. I, I, so, Look at all so, these threes he's shooting now. I think I think Rick was Rick was right, and and I thought he made a, made a good point as he often does. Um, you know, I think he does he balances in coach speak with with actual observations that kind of make me nod a lot and say, "Hey, that's that's smart." And he said that when Brunson came to the team, he was a one level scorer. He was a mid range shooter. He did not consistently get to the rim. When he did, he wasn't consistently finishing shots there, and he was not consistent with the NBA three. Rick said he couldn't. You know, he wasn't even. He couldn't even shoot the NBA three, you know, uh, consistently. Like, like he would really have to push it, you know, ch- change up his mechanics a little bit. It was not a smooth, fluid shot for him when he got to the NBA. And now it is. And now getting to the rim is. And now he not only uses that mid-range shot, which is good and, and has been good ever since he came uh, to the team, but he leverages that into, you know, little head fakes and shot fakes uh, to get floaters off and, and to get layups. And uh, and yeah, he's shooting more threes, just like you demanded he did, Dave Dufour. So um, that means that he listens to the podcast. That's the joke that podcasters make, right? When That's when they it. do something that that we say. So so yes, Jalen Jalen Brunson must listen to this podcast. He's been I've awesome. He's I been fantastic. That joke. I, and and honestly, man, like I think he'd be a better option in that Josh Richardson role overall. Because of the shooting, I, I, that shooting just matters so much. Maybe that's just me. Kind, kind of one of the problems I think with him, and I don't want to say problems. It's not a problem. He's a he's a very good player, and I think he should be part of the team for a while. He, he's got like his offense does remind me a lot of Fred Van Vliet, but he doesn't have the yep. the killer defense. And so, right for a guard who is not a slouch defensively, but just you know he doesn't isn't going to offer you positive defense because. 
that's not the player he is. He doesn't have that physicality and that athleticism and that size. You can't play him 36 minutes and think, oh, this is what's going to push up and push us into the top four seed and, and, and the, in a conference. Like he's not, he's not a, uh, he's a ceiling raiser or he's a floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser. Uh, I think that's a Zach Lowe concept, but he is absolutely a player who will only take you so far. And the Mavericks want to go far beyond that. So, so for Jalen Brunson to be anything more than a 24 to 30 minute player, a minutes per game player for the Mavericks, I don't think that's helping them get further, even if what he's doing is fantastic and important, just in terms of, of raising, you know, the, the floor and making sure they, they close out close games at times and things like that. That's all really important stuff. It's just not, you know, more Jalen Brunson is, is not the answer per se, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think if Jalen Brunson is your third guard, you're going very far. If Jalen Brunson Absolutely. is your second guard, you're not going to where this team should be going when you have Luka Doncic. Right. I right, think exactly. I think I feel like I feel, I think about this once every ten days or so about that little nugget Zach dropped on his podcast that on draft night as Halliburton was slipping that Dallas was supposedly doing anything they could to get up to get him, and you just sort of wonder like if it happened. I mean, yeah, sure, big concept, Mike. The second best rookie in the game right now on this team would help a lot, but. I mean, he really stylistically would be everything they need. A, a young Chris yeah, Paul, he's are you trying to say? <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they had been able to get a young, okay. <laughs> they need a playmaker. That's it. Plain and simple. They need a guy. They need They need the, the reality of what people thought Josh Richardson was going to be. And Josh Richardson's not that. I mean, if they could get Zach Levine, I mean, I don't know. They'd have to give up too much stuff because Zach Levine's too good. But you can't do that. Um, you know, it, it just, yeah, they have nothing there aren't a lot of guys, right? Me. Like there just aren't a lot of guys that they can get. And so I don't know, maybe they wind up paying Josh Richardson anyway, just cause what are the other options this summer? I mean, I feel like the answer with Dallas more than a lot of other organizations often revolves around the trade market. You know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and be like, okay, the free agency pool is appealing. Cause it's obviously been watered down, but this team is very good at finding creative trade solutions and finding some way that, I mean, we would have sat here, you know, two years ago. And if somebody said, oh, yeah, Kristaps Porzingis would be great next to Doncic, I'll be like, yeah, there's no way. It's not happening. They don't have the assets. And they found a way. Yeah, they suckered one of the, you know, one of the dumber organizations of the league. Uh, but they found a way. This team's entire history of the last 15 years has been winning trades. That's what they do really well. They win trades and they take guys at the bottom level of the heap. They turn Ds into C pluses or sometimes B minuses. They are fantastic at those two things, and the jury is out about a lot of other things they do. So do I think that there's an obvious free agent alternative better than Josh Richardson that they could get? I, right now, no, but I think they might find something creative. Yeah, I think that's always a, a th- I was going to say threat. It's always a threat with the Mavericks front office that they might make a trade out of nowhere. Um, I view it that way because that means I have to work. And in like, I have without to work having too. any I warning. You. I know, I know. <laughs> So for me, it is a threat. I, I think I think for a Mavericks uh, fan uh, or the team itself, it would be more of a. Uh, it's always a possibility. It's always an option. It's always something that that you have to remember with this team is that, you know, they they do proactively look for this stuff and and they have ideas that, you know, frankly, is is tough to predict because you know we just don't always have the read on the market and what's available and and we look at a Porzingis trade like the one they pulled off and think okay there's no way that New York would actually do that so I think everything you're saying is right um and uh I agree and I also think that we've uh we've covered a lot of ground we're gonna wrap it up here but there's one game left uh before the all-star break Luca will start in the all-star game this Sunday 
I think we'll be back next week to talk about that or talk about something. We'll, we'll figure out something to talk about. We always do. So uh, when we do that, uh, we'll talk to you all thin. And uh, thanks for listening. It's a wrap.